Yeah, this morning we uh, continue our series in, in Habakkuk, uh, titled uh, Honest Faith. Um, it's been a, I've been really challenged uh, by the series in terms of preparation, but also what Andrew shared uh, last week. Uh, and we're, we're basically taking time to examine uh, the prayer life uh, of Habakkuk. Um, how is it God responds to him? So Habakkuk prays, God responds, uh, and how it is this also impacts our own walk uh, with God day to day. Um, so we've spent a couple of weeks uh, looking at Habakkuk so far. In the first week, we took time to examine uh, Habakkuk's first prayer uh, and God's response to that. And then last Sunday, Andrew examined Habakkuk's second prayer, uh, and we looked at the part of uh, God's response uh, to this. Uh, and this morning, uh, what we're going to do is, is take time to look at the remaining part of God's response to Habakkuk's second prayer. So this is like part two of God's response. Um, so if you have your Bibles, let's have a look at Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh, we're going to examine verse 6 uh, through to 20. Um, it's one of these books that's really hard to find in your Bible, so I'll show grace, guys, don't worry. Um, so I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen as well. So uh, Habakkuk writes this, starting in verse 6. This is God speaking. Uh, Won't all of these take up a taunt against him? with mockery and riddles about him. They will say, Woe to him who amasses what is not his, how much longer, and loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Uh, Won't your creditors suddenly arise, and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoiled for them, since you have plundered many nations. All the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, to place his nest on high, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the peoples labour only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbours drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will cover your glory, for your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies, for the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is, there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Amen. So, Father, we, we recognise that this is your word, and your word often brings a challenge and questions in our heart and we pray Lord that you would take this time now Lord we, we pray for freedom today 
We pray that by your spirit you would remove any distractions in our hearts, that you would use this time to help us to really tune in, to focus in on what your word says. And Lord, we know that through your spirit and your word, we can be changed. And Lord, I pray that you would change us through what your word says here. So speak through me, Lord, lead me. Lord, I pray that you would bless us, allow us all to be open and receptive and willing to respond in obedience and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So this is a nice, easy passage for us to look at uh, this morning. Um, if you were to survey your entire life um, and you were to look <clears throat> at all of the ways in which you suffer, both past and present, so just think, think about your life, think about moments of real suffering, both in the past, but perhaps right now. Uh, and if you were then to take time to examine the various reasons for why you suffered. So it's one thing looking at the suffering you experience. But then take a moment to think about why you suffer. Uh, what would you see? What would you identify with, with regards to why you have suffered? What was going on behind the pain? Um, at surface level... I think you would see a whole spectrum of different reasons for why you've suffered. Uh, from circumstances outside of your control, to personal sin choices you've made, to a mixture of both circumstance and sin choice. At a much deeper level, I think, I hope we would all recognise uh, that all suffering, every moment of suffering at its root, is sin. Uh, the source of our suffering is because of sin. Um, whether it be our own sin or the sins uh, of someone else. Uh, we all suffer. We all eventually die. Every single one of us here will one day die because sin exists in the world. It has a blanket effect on all of us and none of us can escape it. Uh, and all of this is a fresh reminder that we need someone, capital S, someone we need someone to help us uh, as we think about our lives as we think about this world as we think about this reality of sin suffering and death we need someone that someone is Jesus uh, and in our passage this morning we read of a God who is now intervening he's he's the one who's stepping in in the midst of this sin and suffering and he is highlighting the stark reality of sin and the consequences that follow on from that sin and these sins are presented to us in what, in what we're going to describe as five different uh, woe oracles. Uh, God is speaking to a group of people who appear to be able to sin in a wide variety of different ways. It's not just that they sin in one particular way. They're experts at sinning in a whole host, a buffet of different ways. Uh, and to each of those ways, God says woe to him or woe to them. And we find that word woe both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see it also in examples within popular culture today. Uh, how are we able to come to terms with its use in Habakkuk? And particularly as we read, five occasions God says woe to him, woe to him, woe to him, woe to him, woe to him. How are we to understand this? Well, the term woe in Hebrew is often used in preparation for a declaration of judgment. Uh, God is preparing the people to receive judgment. So a much softer and maybe a more modern translation of that word woe in today's language would be brace yourself. Brace yourself. God's judgment is coming. 
brace yourself because God is about to speak some really difficult words and God is about to make some really difficult judgments on the people that he is communicating to. And there is no doubt in my mind that these words from God are words for the Babylonians. I think that's pretty obvious from what we've looked at so far. Uh, what God says here, it matches the profile and the practice of a group of people who are pretty much barbaric at this particular moment in history. But as we think about our passage this morning, that's only partially true. Yes, it was for the Babylonians. These woes are also for anyone who is unrighteous. The Babylonians, God's people as well, the Judeans, anyone who lives in this way, these woes are for them. And we know that because of what we read in verse 4, uh, something that Andrew looked at last week. Um, God says in Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, and it's up on the screen for us, Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. And here Habakkuk is comparing the unrighteous one generally, someone who is unrighteous, with someone who is righteous. The righteous one will live by faith. The unrighteous one will have an ego that is inflated. This person will be someone who lives without integrity. So God is providing a comparison here and then he presents the judgment upon the unrighteous one. And all of this is tapping into something that Andrew touched upon last week. Um, but that mentality within our hearts that, that can say something to the effect of this. Well, God, I know I'm bad, but look at how bad these guys are. Look at how much this group or that individual is falling short. That's nothing compared to me. This is something that God's people did in Habakkuk's day. But let's be honest, hands up this morning. We all do this as well. We look at ourselves and we compare ourselves with other people. And we think, I know I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as this person or that person or that group. But I believe God is wanting to tell us this morning that we are not to be a people who approach this passage with that kind of attitude, as Andrew mentioned last week. Instead, brace yourself. Brace yourself. Because this passage could very likely be for you and for me. Um, in effect, we're all on a level playing field as we dig into God's word today. Uh, and we're not going to read these words in the book of Habakkuk and think to ourselves, these would be perfect for this person or that person. They're not here today, but they'd be perfect for this person. Or maybe they are here today and you're thinking that. We have no right to think that way. These words perhaps are perfect for us today. And we have to examine our own hearts and see what is really going on within. And that's just, that's something we always have to do in the Christian life. We always have to be examining, why am I saying this? Why am I doing this? Why am I not saying this? Why am I not doing this? Your life is constantly one of self-examination through the Holy Spirit. And that's just an encouragement for all of us in every moment, not just in this particular moment on a Sunday morning on October 15th. So if you're anything like me, you will know that in and of ourselves, um, the easiest thing that you can do, the easiest thing that I can do is sin. Um, I'm amazed at how good I am when it comes to sin. I'm a total natural. Um, is it just me? Is everyone else in agreement? Uh, we're all really good at sinning. Um, so we all need someone. And again, it's that capital S, someone to help us with that, not only to show us um, how to live 
outside of a life of sin. But he is also the one who will empower us to live in a way that is not sinful. One that is holy. One that glorifies God. One that brings us ultimate satisfaction. So the easiest thing for us to do is to sin. Amen. And the hardest thing in and of our own strength for us to do is to live a life that's marked by righteousness. It's the hardest thing to do is to live a life of righteousness. So it's almost like we need the Holy Spirit to help us in that regard. We need God's power. There's no way that any one of us can live a life for Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit at work within us. All of which makes these words of Habakkuk deeply relevant for us because not only can we identify with some or all of these woes to varying degrees, but if we love Jesus today, if we have his power um, to live for him day by day, then um, every moment where we are tempted to sin and when we do sin, every situation like that can, can end as Habakkuk chapter 2 ends. Habakkuk chapter 2, the last verse, it says, But the Lord... So when we, find temp- when we find ourselves in the midst of temptation to sin, when we do sin, we can always end in that. But the Lord, yes, I've messed up. Yes, I'm broken in this area. Yes, I keep coming back to this sin again and again and again. But the Lord, but the Lord, he's going to see me through. He's going to help me. He's going to equip me. And he's going he's to lead me in such a way that I no longer need to live like this. But the Lord. So... Yes, let's just take a moment to recognize all of us and let's just take a moment that as we identify all these ways, all these sinful ways in the days of Habakkuk, we also sin in a variety of different ways. And rest assured, Denison Baptist Church, there is always hope. There is always hope. God's grace is sufficient for us. Amen. His power is made perfect in weakness. Amen. So there is a way forward for us. So yes, this is a difficult passage for us to look at, but the Lord, he is good, he is for us, and he is going to help us. Now, as we look at these woes, uh, take note from the, the opening line of verse 6. It is God who is speaking, but God is relaying what others will say about the unrighteous. So God is quoting what other people will say about the unrighteous. And again, we know that God here is speaking specifically about the unrighteous in a general sense because he uses the phrase on five different occasions, woe to him, woe to him. This is not referenced to a particular nation. This is referenced to anyone and everyone who chooses to fall short of God's holy standard. So let's look at the first one of these, woe to uh, the thief, the thief. And we're going to read, let me just read verses 6 to 8 again. God says this through Habakkuk. He says, won't all of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? They will say, woe to him, the unrighteous, who amasses what is not his. How much longer and loads himself with goods taken in pledge? Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoiled for them. Since you have plundered many nations, all the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities and all who live in them. Now, God here is speaking about the impending judgment on those who, with their trickery, influence and force, they, they rob people of what is rightfully theirs. This is who God is speaking to in particular. Those who basically steal, those who rob from others who have things that are rightfully theirs. 
And this was definitely a Babylonian problem. We see that with how it is they advanced their empire, how they accumulated wealth. But it was also a, a Judean problem as well. And we know this from chapter 1 in Habakkuk's first prayer, week 1. He cries out to God about the levels of injustice that he has witnessed all around him. But as we know, this is not just these particular groups' problems. It's a problem that has existed throughout human history. It's a problem that exists today. The temptation within our society to steal, to rob, to take from others that is rightfully theirs. To be human is to be someone who has the potential to break the Eighth Commandment, do not steal. And notice what God says in response to those who are marked by thievery. You will get your comeuppance one day. You who plunder will be plundered, verse 8. The Apostle Paul speaks of this from a much broader perspective in Galatians 6 and 7 to 8. And he says this, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. So if we, if we sow in a particular way, we're going to reap in a particular way. Uh, John Curry in his commentary provides a, a couple of helpful reminders and examples of what this looks like from Old Testament scripture. King Isaiah, Second Chronicles. King Isaiah was someone who wanted to desecrate the Lord's temple and he himself was desecrated with leprosy. And, and Haman, in the book of Esther, Haman built gallows to hang Mordecai on. And what happened to Haman? He was hung on the gallows that he built. That's the Old Testament. And you may immediately respond in your heart with this, well, I don't see this mark today. Um, I look at the world around me, and I see that the individuals, groups, organisations are plundering the poor and there seems to be no evidence, no evidence whatsoever of justice, it appears that they are getting away with it. To which I would wholeheartedly agree. You know, I look at the world, I look at what I see in the news, I look at what I see in the city, and I can think of individual examples and also group examples where fraud is committed and it appears like they have gotten away with it. It appears like injustice is reigning. I can think of giant corporations, governments, who seem to plunder money, and there's no seeming sense of justice being done. And I think we can all identify with that in our society today. We can all think of examples where this is happening, and we don't seem to see what it is that God is saying here in Habakkuk chapter 2. But for all of what we see today, we have to go back to Habakkuk 2 and verse 3. And again, this is what Andrew preached on. Habakkuk, or God speaking through Habakkuk says, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. And this is what we need to hold on to. When we see injustice in our world today, when we see people uh, committing thievery, fraud, stealing, whether on this side of eternity or on the other side, God will not be late. His judgment will come. We will all have to give an account for our lives and he will right every single wrong, including this particular sin. So yes, you might see injustice, but understand that God will have his day. And it might not be according to our time frame. We have an expectation of when God might 
inflict justice upon this, this situation of injustice. But it's not according to our time. It's according to God's time. So that's the first woe to those who steal. And this leads us on to the second woe, which is, was significant overlap with the first and second. The greedy. The greedy. And here we see of those who accumulate wealth and possessions unjustly. And they have absolutely zero regard for anyone else. No regard for anyone else. All they're doing is thinking about themselves. So in verses 9 to 11, God says this. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house. To place his nest on high. To escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house. By wiping out many peoples. And sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. So for the Babylonians, the sin of dishonestly making wealth of their house would have been through brute force and violence. Their gain would have been directly through the misery, the suffering, even the death of others, verse 9. But notice as well, verses 9 to 10, they have made disaster for others in order that they may escape the grip of disaster. So they are inflicting all this pain in order that they might protect themselves from any kind of pain. And here we see the sheer ugliness of the human heart. Left to our own devices, we will throw people under a bus on a regular basis in order for us to get to our desired destination. This is the heart of the Babylonians. They want other people to suffer and die so that they can live a life of comfort. But God says here, your plans for wealth are actually plans for shame, not for prosperity, for shame. And you, in effect, you are effectively storing up wrath eh, from God. God also says here that the stones and the rafters in your house will have a conversation about how you have done this. In other words, it will be undeniable. There will be no escaping the greediness of your life. It will become apparent to everyone who watches on. You might try and hide it from others, but it will be as plain as day for all to see. And we can't do that whole Judean to Babylonian thing and say, that's them. We can't look at this and think to ourselves, well, that's the Babylonians. These are bad cats. We don't need to worry about ourselves. If we're honest this morning, sometimes we smell like this as well. And Denison Baptist Church, it's not an aroma. In fact, it's not even a smell, it's a stench. Sometimes we are greedy, as the Babylonians are greedy. To what extent are you tempted to build a wee nest on high, even at the expense of others, and completely avoid the needs and the challenges of other people? To what extent is that something that from time to time can be a reality in our hearts. We just want to be separate from, from everyone else. We, we, don't, we don't want to help other people because we, we worship a life of comfort. Or maybe worse than that, if you had a look at your bank statement and you examined what you spend your money on, how we spend our money and what we don't spend our money on and how we don't spend our money, would it indicate a lifestyle that is only concerned about ourselves and our households? When you think about your relationship with comfort, and in particular with money, 
And because this is what the second woe is all about, would you say that you are someone who sees what God has given you as a means to God's kingdom end? This is a challenge in the second woe. Is it a means to God's kingdom end? Or is your wealth a means to some other kind of end? Is it a means to an end of possessions or comfort or life satisfaction? Touching on these verses, uh, Jonathan Lamb and Elizabeth McCoy present us with this challenge that both encourages us towards a biblical perspective when it comes to the things that we have. And they write this, they say, what buffer zones have you created? And I think we're all guilty of that. We create buffer zones. What people and things provide you with a sense of security? Having spare cash in the bank, a pension plan, family living close by, a comfortable house. There is nothing intrinsically wrong with these things. But if we are not careful, they lull us into a false sense of security. We trust them instead of trusting in God. Reflect on what it would mean for you to live with a true dependence on the security of Christ and his word when we have, some, when we have so many material things that support us. And that's the challenge. Is our faith and hope in the stuff of this world or is our faith and hope in the, the complete and finished work of Christ? I'm so challenged by that in my own life. I hope you're challenged as well. So that's the second woe. So we can see how it, how it relates to ourselves. I hope we can see that. It's gotten really quiet, but it has, it's relevant to all of us. So this leads us on to the next woe. Habakkuk is speaking to the unjust. Verses 12 to 14. Uh, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people's labour only to fuel the fire? And countries exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the, with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. And at the heart of this woe is the fact that the unrighteous, those who are unjust, those who establish themselves with injustice, Babylonian, Judean, anyone, absolutely anyone, they will, they will exhaust themselves for absolutely nothing, for no reason whatsoever. Ironically, none of their embezzlement, their extortion, their treasuring of material things will have any lasting worth or value. Today, um, if you were able to, you could, you could travel to the Inca Temple in Mexico. Uh, or you could go to the Colosseum in Rome. Or you could go to the Reichstag building in Berlin. And you could, in freedom... You could do this. You could open up your Bible and you could read Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 13. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people's labour only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? Now, why do I say that? Well, as Andrew pointed out last week, uh, these, these buildings, these tourist attractions now, they represent empires at different points in history. And others like them have came and gone and now they're gone permanently. They're not coming back. That's them, they're dead. Completely and utterly gone. But by the very fact that you can go to these places now as a tourist and by the very fact that you can read the word of God out loud in these places, what does that tell you? Well, that tells you, that shows you the futility of human empires. The absolute 
futility of human attempts to achieve things because none of it will last. None of it will last. And it highlights the longevity of God's word as well and the hearts and minds of those who live by it and who have also passed it on. So when we think of these, these three locations, they represent brutal empires of the past that are gone. They're gone. And yet, the word of the Lord remains forever. And we can go to these places. We can read scripture out loud. And surely that's testimony to the fact that God is alive. And that human achievement is nothing. And it's permanently nothing. God's word is real. Let me encourage you this morning. Be wary of living for a cause that will one day end up in ruins. That was characteristic of so many people in Habakkuk's day. And this is characteristic of, of so many people in our day. And it's characteristic of so many people in the church today as well. In our nation. We have people who attend church, people who would profess Christ. But ultimately they're living for something else. They're living for something that one day will go up in flames. That will end up in ruins. More often than not, those who walk down that pathway will do so with a life that is marked in some way, in some sense, by injustice. And take heed of the warning here. The unjust will have their day. One day we are all going to have to give an account, not just for what we did, but why we did it. What was the motive? What was the reason within our hearts? Habakkuk said, or God speaking through Habakkuk says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. In other words, God will have the last word. He will have a last word on all that has went before. So take heed of that this morning. This leads us on to the fourth woe from God. Through Habakkuk, he speaks directly to the violent. The violent. And let's look at 15 through to 17. God says this. Woe to him who gives his neighbours drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory for your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities and all who live in them. And here God speaks of those who make others drink what they have whether literally or metaphorically in order that they might become like them. So it's Pure and simple, it's an act of manipulation. In order that others might be recruited to their sinful cause. And God says here, as you have made others drink, in order that they might follow your ways, I'm going to make you drink the cup of my wrath. So that instead of glory, you're going to experience disgrace. And take note again, verse 17, what God has already said before, to anyone and everyone who is characterized by unrighteousness, as you have caused violence and destruction, you also will be the recipients of violence and destruction too. So as you are violent, you will also receive that reality in your own life. And as we read this, there's echoes of the words of King David. Psalm 57 verse 6, David says this. They, speaking of his enemies, they prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. And this is such an important word for us this morning because we have witnessed so much, so much violence in our world recently. We have been witness to this on the news. 
and the tragedy and trauma of what has happened in Israel through the hands of violent terrorists and then the aftermath of that, a war between Israel and Hamas and the consequences of all of that, it leaves you asking a question, as we've spoken about before, God, what is going on here? What is going on? God, how, how am I to process this? How can I pray wisely into this situation? But as we see from Habakkuk, we can rest in the knowledge that no violent act from perpetrator to innocent man, woman or child will ever go unaccounted for. So yes, we see this tragedy, but one day God will have the last word on all that we see in our news. Uh, yesterday, Pauline and I heard about uh, friends of ours um, whose son was, was violently attacked uh, in the city centre. And they not only attacked him, but they publicly humiliated him as well. And then they filmed it uh, and put it in social media for everyone to see. Um, I would ask that you pray for that family. If you don't know Jesus, but we love them uh, and we're praying for them as well. And it's just, I've been really struck by what I've seen in the news and also that example, which obviously hits a lot closer to home. And I mentioned both of these examples really to highlight um, the ways and the workings of the Babylonians. They are a lot closer to home than we think. We can see what happens in the Old Testament. and We, th we can think that was in a, a far off land a long time ago. But this is happening now. This is happening in the Middle East. And as I've just shared, this is happening in our city. Amongst our young people. So we need to be men and women of God who do not walk like that. And who instead resemble the way of Christ. Who said, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons and daughters of God. So all of this brings us on to our final woe, which is found in the middle of a section of scripture. We've made it. We're on the fifth one, guys. So good job. Uh, the idolater. The idolater. And let's have a look together at what it is we read in verses 18 to 19. 18 to 19. Habakkuk writes this. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of, li of lies. For the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up. Or to mute stone come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. And every woe before this one is simply an outward expression of the final woe. So the idolater is the one who is a thief. The idolater is the one who is greedy. The idolater is the one who is unjust. The idolater is the one who is violent. Anything that redirects our worship from the true and living God will cause us to sin in these ways and in many other ways. And it's precisely why Jesus calls us, encourages us in Mark twelve thirty to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because here lies the antidote to any and every form of idolatry in our lives. And this is no laughing matter, guys. This, this is something that we cannot play fire with. Idolatry is real. And idolatry is dangerous. So take stock of this. And replace idolatry with Mark 12, 30, the great command. Love God with all that you are. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. 
it will kill you if you don't do that. There's no vacuum. We, we can't just live this neutral life. We're either loving and living for God or loving and living for something else. And God here highlights the absolute folly, stupidity of every form of idolatry. It cannot speak to us. These idols that we worship, they cannot speak to us. We cannot speak to them, even though we, we might try. It is a dead thing. It is of no value, no worth at all. Now, idolatry in the Old Testament it tended to be some kind of object or shrine that people bowed down to. One of the most famous examples would be the golden calf in the Old Testament in the days of Moses. That was how idolatry was expressed both in the Old and New Testament. And this is how idolatry is manifest in a number of different cultures around the world today. But an idol goes much deeper than a physical object because this, is, this, this applies to us today as well. We might not worship a physical object of some kind. We might actually do that in our lives. But an idol, in essence, is anything that captures our hearts and minds to such a degree that we find ourselves being drawn to that over and above God. Anything that captures our hearts and minds to such a degree that we find ourselves worshipping that, living for that, loving that, over and above God himself. John Calvin uh, said that our hearts are idol factories, meaning that we are constantly finding something apart from Jesus to worship. And I think that's true. It's a battle every day to worship the true and living God and not to pursue something um, that is not Christ. So don't lose sight of us, Denison Baptist Church. Every single one of us has an idol problem. Amen? We agree with that. We are all drawn to something that takes not only our focus away from God, but it takes our love from God uh, towards something else within our lives. And we are constantly manufacturing this in our hearts and our minds with our desires through our actions. It's a constant battle. So this morning, I could provide many different examples of idols, but the reality is an idol can be anything. And I'm just concerned that if I mention one, then you're going to look at it and think, well, that's not me. But you might have something else that I haven't mentioned and think I'm okay. So the question or questions I'm going to simply ask, to you, ask each one of us, including myself, uh, are these It'll be up on the screen for us. Uh, what is it that you daydream about? What do you think about day to day? When, when no one else is with you, what are you daydreaming about? Uh, what is it that you find yourself pursuing day to day? Uh, what is it that if it wasn't in your life would cause you to be unhappy, grumpy, or unfulfilled? I'm just going to give you a moment to reflect on that. What do you daydream about? What do you pursue? If something was missing in your life, what is it? What is that thing if it was missing that would then cause you to be unhappy, grumpy, or unfulfilled? Whatever's coming to your mind right now, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would, would remind you of something in your life. Whatever's coming to mind, that's it. That's your idol. That is your Jesus substitute. And the danger is that in pursuing that thing in your life, you'll not only find yourself living a lifeless faith, you'll fail to see God's grace. You'll fail to see his goodness. You'll fail to see his blessing in your life day to day. 
So the answer for every single one of us this morning is to begin with confession. To recognize if, if you, if the Holy Spirit has revealed something to you, begin with confession. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've made this thing more valuable than you in my heart. And in doing that, I want you to hold, hold firmly on to the final verse in our passage this morning. Verse 20, we read this. But the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. So confess your idolatry. Be silent in his presence. And let God do the work that only he can do. In your heart, in your mind, with your desires. And that work will mean that your life is lived this week for Christ and for Christ alone. And you'll experience the joy and the satisfaction that can only ever come from true worship. So as we reflect on these words uh, this morning, this passage, as, as God asks these questions, are you a thief? Are you greedy? Are you unjust? Are you violent? Are you an idolater? Confess this today and recognize the powerful reality of but the Lord. But the Lord. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he promises you an all-satisfying and everlasting life with him. But the Lord. As I share that this morning, I'm aware there's maybe some of us here today and you've never made that profession of faith yet. You, you haven't made the decision to follow him. I want, you invite, I want to invite you to receive Jesus into your life, to recognize that he is God, to confess that you are a sinner and to ask that he would wash you clean of all sin and give you a new life. There is opportunity for you to do that today and I'm also aware there's maybe others of us who simply need to repent, as I've mentioned before. We see how much we fall short. We understand how easy it is to fall into idolatry. So take some time to pray that this week would be different for you and you would be, you would be marked by a life that is full of Christ, empowered by his Holy Spirit. And we welcome you to be prayed for in that regard. So if you would like to receive prayer, then speak to me. Or speak to someone you know who would want to pray for you. I'll be available. There will be other people available uh, to pray for you. This morning we also recognise there's maybe something you're just finding really difficult. Maybe you are going through a, a season of suffering. It may be a situation you're in the middle of. It may be an illness or ailment you're struggling with. We would take time to pray for you today. So do speak with us about that. And if you need prayer uh, for something that you're suffering uh, in, then we would ask that God, by his healing touch, would bring restoration to your life. This morning, we also want to come to the table. And we do so because of this powerful reality of but the Lord. So yes, we mess up. Yes, we fall short. Yes, we are struggling. Yes, we are full of worries and even fears. But the Lord. But the Lord. But the Lord means that we are recipients of the abundant grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ towards sinful you and I. And for those of us who would recognize that we're, we're still on a journey when it comes to faith, I would just invite you not to come to the table, but to watch and to pray and ask that God would speak to you in this moment. But if you love the Lord, the invitation is for you to come to this table, to take this bread, to drink this cup. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we take this bread, we drink this cup, and as God's family, 
We are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. And that is good news. Yes, we are broken. Yes, we are sinful. But God has a last word and he has demonstrated that he has a last word by dying on the cross for our sins. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. And then that word again, but, but God, amen, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Amen. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you that, that we are saved by grace through faith. And we, we thank you that we now have the opportunity and the freedom that you give to us to come to this table, to take this bread and drink this cup, to worship, to sing, to pray, and to be prayed for. And Lord, we, we ask that you would use this time and lead us in this time. Lord, we want, we want your plan and purpose for this moment to be fulfilled. We don't want to do things according to what we want. We want you to take this time and to use it for your glory. So would you convict us right now, Lord? Would you bring us to a place of genuine, authentic repentance? And would you help us to live in a manner that is worthy of you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.